I often get asked why I still wake up at two in the morning to watch a football match or how I can be so obsessed about Real Madrid despite reaching the dark side of the 20s. The obvious answers are football being the greatest joy, sport being a factor of unity, or the simple pleasure of sticking it to friends in the morning. But there is a deeper reason. A reason that transcends football and enters the realm of personal values and beliefs. I've always felt a very strong bond between the values of Real Madrid and that of myself. And while trying to figure out the complexities of life, what you stand for, or how you would operate under different circumstances, Real Madrid has always been that guiding star. And I have indeed modeled many of my value systems on that of the club. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Trading Life. I'm Nikhil Venkatesa. And I'm Sindhuri Nandakumar. So Sindhu, what we just heard was pretty intense. Who was that? Yeah, so that was Ishan Archanta, who is a friend of ours and probably the most hardcore sports fan I've ever met in my life. So his team of choice is the Spanish football team Real Madrid. And he gets visibly depressed, Nikhil, on the days after Real has lost a match and then he's really elated during victorious spells. His love for Real goes beyond just watching the games. He has even written a manifesto that covers how he has incorporated the values of the club into his own life. And what we heard was an excerpt from that. Nikhil, I I can't say that I've ever felt so strongly about any sporting team or athlete and have never been moved to write anything about them. Have you? Not really, Sindhu. I've never followed sports, even though I used to play tennis in school. My sister and dad are way more into sports and can spend hours watching cricket and tennis matches. But me, on the other hand, I've mostly found it a waste of time watching groups of people smacking balls around a field in different ways. That seems like an appropriate way to describe it, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's the same for me. I used to be a big cricket fan as a child because of my granddad's influence. But after he passed, that kind of ended. But I am aware of how much we're in the super minority when it comes to sports, especially living in India. I spoke with a colleague this morning who told me about the time he got into a scuffle with a Liverpool fan. He's a Manchester United fan and had actually had to be taken to the police station (laughs) and been issued a warning. And this is someone who I would not associate any degree of violence with, right? So it just shocks me how strongly sports can move somebody and what it can drive them to do. And then obviously, like living in the subcontinent, there's cricket, which has always been a religion here. But... You know, the frenzy seems to have become even more heightened in the last 10 years. Yeah, I feel the same way, Sindhu. Ever since the IPL debuted in 2008, audiences for sports like cricket, kabaddi and football have grown exponentially. Just between 2016 and 2017, the IPL's viewership jumped by 14% from 361 million viewers to 411 million viewers. And newer leagues like kabaddi and football aren't far behind. In 2016, the Broadcast Audience Research Council of India reported that the Indian Super League and the Pro Kabaddi League have more than 200 million viewers for their seasons that year. That's huge. And just in terms of, you know, money values, it's a huge industry as well, right? Like Reuters reported this week or last week that uh, lost revenues from a record number of rain-hit cricket World Cup games in England and Wales probably led to insurance claims of a few million dollars for each abandoned match. That's a lot of money. and Mm -hmm. Clearly, sports is a big deal, but, you know, you and I are not experts. We're not going to help with this at all, but we wanted to understand what being a sports fan actually means. 
which is why we brought Ishan today to try and get inside his head. All right, so let's go talk to Ishan right now. Hi, Ishan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ishan. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. You know, first off, we are so curious to hear more about this manifesto. You've told us that it's part of a larger document, right? So can you walk us through what prompted you to even write it in the first place? Sure. So I think, um, like a lot of people in their late 20s, I find myself at, at a crossroads as I embark on a new entrepreneurial journey. And that's obviously going to be incredibly challenging. So can you tell us more about this entrepreneurial journey? And so I've just started a, a data-driven business insights firm that uses data analytics. Okay. Um, and that, like every startup, is going to be obviously incredibly challenging. So I sort of asked myself the question, um, what would Real Madrid do? Hmm. And, and when, when do you ask yourself this question? <laughs> in is the morning, just, in the evening? You know, once you show up to work or, you know, when exactly are you asking yourself this question? I I mean, I think once you've, you know, once you have, you're done making your elaborate business plans and everything, you sort of get to a personal question saying, right, okay, you know what, is this for me? You know, can I, mm -hmm. how am I going to go about doing it? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's when I um, I thought of this and that's when I um, decided to just sort of put my thoughts down on, on paper. So what it essentially is, is just sort of uh, me writing down what the Real Madrid ethos and uh, is what the Real Madrid ethos is and, and, and how I'm going to sort of incorporate that in what I do. Okay, can I just jump in and ask, like, why Real Madrid? Why not, like, what would this business icon do? Or what, like, like Richard Branson or my grandfather who really inspired? Like, what was it about Real that got you to think about them? I think, firstly, it's, I think, what you're most passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I think what you just sort of see in that institution. You know, like, for example, what, what I would be sort of trying to incorporate into what I'm doing is just the, the, the culture of Real Madrid, of, of the culture of, of unmatched excellence, of, you know, the, the whole thing of never resting on your laurels, of, of never giving in. Mm -hmm. These are some of the things that I've sort of picked up from uh, watching the football club over such a long period of time. And these are things that I would sort of want to bring in to what, uh, what I'm trying to do as well. So, just um, talking about how you form this connection with this particular team, right? Um, how do you how do you come across Real Madrid and you know really get into this team when you've never been to Madrid itself? At that um, point, when you began. At that point, yeah. Or had any connection with Spain, right? I mean, you're sitting in Chennai, you haven't been to Europe, but and yet you developed this fascination with this team. How did that come about? So, I think like a lot of uh, people who start watching a sport, you're drawn to a team by a by a certain player. That's mm. for me. I was my my all time hero was Raúl González. So I was drawn to Real Madrid because he played for them. Mm -hmm. But I think it very quickly becomes an obsession with the team over the player as you go along. But I but I've always felt that sport is one of the the biggest factors of of unity. You know, it's always it's always been something that's brought communities together. It's brought people together. Mm -hmm. You know, where uh, where joy and despair for that person is all governed by that one single factor of that sporting team. You know, mm -hmm. so I think when I've when you watch. 80,000 people of Madrid at the Bernabeu on even on television, mm -hmm. it sort of makes you um, feel part of something bigger. It gives you that, that sense of belonging. Right. You know, so um, I think that's, that's what it is. I think it's the emotion of it all that makes you feel very connected to, um, to, a, to a sporting team. But, you know, would you say that you, I, I know that you watch cricket, too, right? So, like, would you support India and Chennai Super Kings in the Indian Premier League the same way that you would support Real Madrid, given that you have stronger, 
associations with Chennai and uh, India? Like, is it different how you approach both those institutions? I think so. I I, I think um, there are definitely different elements to it. Like with the Indian cricket team, for example, I think most people in India have grown up around it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think the expectation that we have um, on the Indian cricket team, on Virat Kohli right now to to bring the World Cup home is enormous, and I think that's something that will make a lot of us uh, very happy. Um, CSK, on the other hand, I think is it's it's something very personal, you know, because of how local. It is. It almost feels like you know. It's 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 it, it's your city. It's your people. Mm-hmm. I I exercise at the Madras Cricket Club every single day. So you know where just, to find him now. <laughs> <laughs> so it just seems like you know a part of you is being represented. Mm. So I think while while the passion is still very high, I just think it's in a different um, different form. Would right. you pick between the Indian cricket team and Real Madrid? I have the right to remain silent. <gasps> <laughs> But Ishan, you just spoke about how sports is something that brings people together. But something that we've seen time and again is how sports fans have been violent. They've vandalized communities and they've rioted at different occasions. For example, what happened in Philadelphia in 2018 after the Philadelphia Eagles and American football team won the Super Bowl and the fans vandalized the streets of Philadelphia. Or what happened in 2016 at the Euro Soccer Championships where fans of Russia and England continuously fought each other. So how do you feel about these acts of violence as a result of hyper-fandom? And have you yourself, you know, felt so strongly at any point and wanted to and been in that mindset of doing something extreme? Well, other than laughing at my brother after his football team lost, no, never. <laughs> you know, but I think um, we have seen multiple instances of fan-related violence across across sports, across geographies as well. Mm-hmm. And I think most most famous is the murder of you know, Andres Escobar after Colombia lost the 1994 World Cup. Okay. Um, but I think, um, I think preventing this has been a challenge. But I think what's changing now is sporting institutions are getting more involved in trying to control fans that they know who might, um, might cross the line. But where you do know, you think so- that comes from in the first place, right? What drives a fan to become violent? Right. Forget like trying to control him during the fact or after the fact. But where does that internal sort of motivation come from? Do you think? I think it 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 stems from um, from fans taking all of this very personally. You mm-hmm. know, I think when you follow a football team, it becomes or any sporting team it becomes very personal. And then once you have a whole group of people taking all this very personally, clashes just you know just happen. Um, most of them are spur of the moment things. We see a lot of violence at football stadiums. We see a lot of violence outside football stadiums, clashes between groups of people, all because I feel that it sort of, um, it creates a typical us versus them situation where, you know, the other side wants to have the upper hand. So it's you very know, so tribal in that sense. I think it is. I think it is, yeah. I so think you think that's it's where it stems like from. in the absence of tribes and great battles and wars, we now have sporting institutions? Well, I wouldn't go that extreme. <laughs> but I, I guess the, 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 the concept or the, the, the fundamental parts of it are but do you think it it outweighs like the the positivity of it and the fact that it can be a leveler? Does that outweigh the potential negative consequences like this violence, arson? Surely not. I mean, whatever. Even even if it's a leveler, mm-hmm. I don't think um, it's it's a reason for you to or it's an excuse for for violence or or extreme actions. But do you think it'll get better? Like, do you think it's or for instance, you know, the fact that some team players, despite having bad records in other avenues of their life, like sexual harassment claims, are allowed to come back to the field because the players have protested. Like, 
Do you see that getting better or changing? I think that's a that's a separate issue. But it's I all think... done in the name of uh, sport, right? Of like winning. That that desperation the fan has to win. I think it can also come from the desperation that the sporting institution has to win. Like mm-hmm. if, for example, if a certain player is very very important to the team, and despite uh, having committed um, certain inexcusable actions outside of it, might be allowed still to play because they need the person. You know, but at the same time, if the person wasn't very important, a sporting team might take action against them. So I think it also stems from the desperation of the sporting institution to win, not just fan pressure um, on the institution. Hey everyone, one of the great things we've learned since we started creating life is that the Indian and South Asian podcast community is producing a lot of amazing stories and discussions for listeners, and they're very inclusive of new podcasters in the space. And one of these podcasts is NRI Women, a chat-based show with inspiring NRI women across the globe, and it's hosted and produced by Bettina Toro and Ninora Brookshire, and they've produced over 40 episodes so far. Here's a quick taste of what their show is like, and we also have a link to their podcast in the show notes for this episode. Even though we live abroad, as women of Indian origin, we have a common thread that binds us together because of our strong cultural background. NRI Women is a platform for women to share their stories and experiences on various topics. Our podcast is about inspiring NRI women and their amazing stories. Some of the stories we've covered include growing up in a joint family in India, adopting a child as a single woman, and rebuilding one's life after the loss of a child. Take a listen. We hope you'll be inspired or learn something new. I'm Bettina and I'm Nanora and we're the voices behind NRI Women podcast. We're all heart. Just look for NRI Women wherever you get your podcasts or find us at nriwoman.com. New episodes come out every Monday. Make sure you subscribe. So Nikhil, that was a really interesting chat and I feel like it helped me understand, you know, Ishan's motivation a little better. Um and what i honestly feel the strongest is the sense of like fomo that i haven't built this um allegiance to an institution that is so much larger than me that binds me to like a million people at least and i i was speaking with another hyper fan this morning who was just telling me about you know how um they had these local official groups like fan clubs in chennai for manchester united and mm-hmm. somebody on the group needed like 3 lakhs for a surgery and you know everyone donated 1000 rupees and he had the money or they help each other out when you know they're in a tough spot and i'm like who would i call i could probably call you and then you'll be like okay you live too far away i can't help you um but that that sense of community i think mm. is it's it's quite striking to me what what do you think yeah i feel the same way but i think it's not uh, i don't think it's a unique sort of community feeling right i think it exists whether you're part of a religion i think it it exists whether you're it could be your neighborhood it could be your apartment complex right mm-hmm. so i think it just depends on how tight those bonds are and i think you know football clubs in chennai maybe they're pretty strong but what about a football club in say madhya pradesh right is that as strong other as many people that would give 3 lakhs for a surgery hey i would not discount the state of madhya pradesh okay? <laughs> listeners from mp we love you we have any listeners uh, okay um but it's you know since it's clear from ishan's account that sports fandom is about more than the individual it's always yeah. been about large groups 
as ishan told us either in stadiums or bars or in homes and it's centered around that idea of community right a fraternity of sorts yeah and i think you know to help us make more sense of this if you will we uh, spoke with someone who interacts with these groups on a very regular basis and thinks about this topic way more than we do because he does it for a living so we are speaking with priyansh r who is a writer who explores the intersection of sports politics and culture He's been working overtime after having gone to Russia for the 2018 FIFA World Cup and now he's covering the ICC Cricket World Cup as well. We asked him about hyper fandom in the age of the internet, the dominance of cricket over every other sport in the country and how we can balance the darker sides of fan culture with its positives. So here's our conversation with Priyansh. Can you kind of walk us through your experience as a sports writer and how you see this hyper fandom uh, and why you know like certain sports like cricket and football have it more prominently than like badminton for instance one of the things that i sort of go back to when i think about fandom these days is is an incident that happened in russia last year when i was covering the football world cup and um, i ran into this you know group of Panama fans and Panama had qualified for the World Cup for the first time and I was speaking to this man and you know just asking him about how he he sort of got to Russia and he was telling me about all the sort of sacrifices he had to make in the sense that he put few of his possessions on mortgage and just to go and watch the World Cup and then he started talking to me about the the game where they'd qualified for the World Cup and and then suddenly in the middle of the conversation he started just crying uh, and and i was taken aback and i sort of didn't know how to react <laughs> so that experience in russia and especially that world cup really i mean opened up my eyes i mean there was the story of 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 this fan who had as Essentially, put on weight so that he could uh, get one of those one of the accessibility seats at the stadium. And I think his story was shared widely. I think he put on something like twenty four kgs because those tickets are obviously aren't as much in demand as as the other tickets. At times, it might just seem very ridiculous, but people do, you know, put a lot of importance and really at, are deeply attached to their teams. And, I, and I've been thinking about why is it that sort of team sports inspire such dedication and support? If you sort of just really strip it down to its bare bones. To begin with, it's 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 down to numbers. I mean, a cricket stadium or, or a football stadium is far bigger than than say uh, say a, a venue for, for for the tennis or badminton. I I think the biggest tennis stadium is the Arthur Ashe Stadium, which is the capacity of what twenty three thousand. And I don't think any of the football English Premier League sides would have such a small stadium. I think all of them probably have. St- capacity so obviously they attract larger numbers and, and and that's why there is greater room for these fan cultures to develop and also the fact that you know i mean these teams have existed for uh, decades and in some cases even over 100 years right and priyansh i mean you've you've just spoken about this um the connection that people feel to their teams on a personal level but it's impossible to ignore the commercial aspects of fandom as well, especially in India right now. So how much do you think that cricket fandom or fandom of any sport in India is tied to commercial interest now? And, you know, because after all, it's in the interest of advertisers and team owners to have a large audience, right? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the, the, the commercial side of this cannot be overlooked. I mean, it's more or less, it, it is what is it, you know, 
sort of driving the fan cultures now. The, one of the first identifiers for, say, a supporter of a football team is 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 that the the, the first thing that they go and buy is is probably the, the team's jersey or, or its kit, uh, or or they buy or they'll probably buy a scarf and and then obviously this whole industry of just producing a mass producing the team's football jerseys and the, it's it's almost fun to think that there was a time when there were when there were players didn't have any numbers on their jerseys they, they probably played in the same colors for years at end and they, they didn't there were no names at the back and now you have football clubs coming out with three kits in some cases even four kits for every season and and it's really i mean it, it's difficult for these manufacturers like say adidas or, or nike to keep coming up with new ideas bring it closer to an indian context of the cricket world cup we see this time that some teams have gone back to uh, jerseys that they wore in previous tournament especially in england's case they're wearing the jersey that they wore at the 92 world cup and then with all that that it inspires because that's the last time england played in a world cup final in 1992 yeah but you know at least within an indian context do you think that any other sport can kind of reach the same fandom that cricket has like if you take football or even kabaddi to get to that level do you think it will happen and can cricket ever be replaced in india today um it's difficult to see how i, I mean the whole question is purely commercial it's about money mm. the, the big businesses where do they want to put the money they are putting it in cricket football gets some money but even in the in this franchise indian super league three of the clubs have more or less flirted with bankruptcy and they've and they've the way they are surviving nobody really knows where the money is coming from the teams that do are coming up in say indian football or even in kabaddi they are more or less you you'll find that the ownership patterns are, are quite similar and and the owners are able to sort of fund their investment in football because of their investments in cricket the profits that come from cricket sort of are they can transfer them uh, i think the one example is is you see it in football now because uh, jsw sports they own bengaluru fc but they also own uh, delhi capitals the ipl team and for, but first they went into football and obviously they, as they, they found out like everyone else there is actually no money here and but so and they needed to you know come up with a sustainable business model so they invested in cricket so they'll probably make they'll probably make a you know decent profit there and that will be able to fund the other sports so I, I, as long as this imbalance is there i do not see how um any other sport could replace uh, cricket especially as uh, it's, it's probably it's, it is the first game that many uh, i mean most indian kids end up playing anyway mm-hmm. okay hmm. and here's a question that i'm really curious about personally like why has women's sport maybe with the possible exception of tennis and sometimes in india badminton why hasn't it seen the same kind of fandom so the thing is obviously i mean there is this very obvious uh, commercial angle to it because women's sport is is underfunded the investment is is not enough but also secondly the, the way it is it, it's marketed one of the things that so right now we obviously uh, we have the football women's world cup in france and it's attracting numbers which have not been heard of uh, before but the fact is that those numbers are still say not comparable as, as you're saying you know it doesn't sort of seem to inspire that level of dedication but the problem is that the way it's marketed is uh you had the england coach uh, last week uh, speaking uh, about how he's come to show the world that you know that that women's 
football is also good and you should also watch it it's also it's always about as if they have to sort of prove the fact that only if the matches are exciting you know women's sport should exist uh, i think the narrative has been set in those terms i give you the example of england i think 7 million people watched the quarter final last night and that's only because the team is doing really well you didn't have 7 million people watching the the tournament opener having said that there are a few things that that are sort of optimistic even uh, that uh, as we see at this uh, women's world cup uh, netherlands and australia are some of the best supported teams uh, uh, or are definitely two of the best supported teams at this world cup i mean leaving aside france because obviously france is playing at home and you see uh, especially in australia's case it's interesting because it's, it's a long trip from australia to france and there were actually a lot of male fans who just traveled uh, not because they knew a football player not because say their wife or their sister wanted to watch the game they just came to support their, their own team honestly the women's world cup is is for the first time it's on uh, i mean every match is on tv here in india generally people sort of like to present women's football and men's football as almost as if they are two different sport i mentioned the england coach uh, phil neville who used to play for manchester united and he said that he said something very curious in his last press conference he said it's a game that i have fallen in love with over the past 18 months this guy who's basically played professional football for <laughs> two decades he's now falling in love with women's football as if it's something different i, I mean it, it, it's fairly <laughs> ridiculous i just it doesn't make any sense to me anyway Finally you know uh, another key question we wanted to ask you was about the darker sides of sports fan culture whether it's putting too much pressure on players and holding them to infinitely high standards but also things like fans rioting when the team loses and you know fighting with fans of opposing teams and also you know more dangerous ones where uh, scandals in which there's foul play be it the people who own the teams or coaches or players um in the case of cricket obviously the ipl match fixing spot fixing scandal and then in penn state you know in 2011 one of the coaches was accused of uh, was charged with child abuse and it was overlooked for decades right so th- those those are different s- sort of scenarios in which fandom is sort of eclipsing the game as a whole so w- uh, what are your thoughts on that i think what what's really started to trouble me about fandom and, and this is in recent years uh, particularly i think because it's also become more visible thanks to the internet is the fact that it's it's almost a, a thing of pride or it's a, to be or to be proud about to to be you know this very intensely loyal fan to the point that everybody else doesn't even uh, i mean is not even worthy of your admiration i think i think you see this even right now in this cricket world cup because obviously the indian diaspora is is huge and and wherever india mm. plays it's almost like a home game when the other team is batting and the scoring runs the stadium is silent uh, nobody is appreciates anything that a player from the opposition does and it's almost like you know as, as someone wrote this uh, a while ago and i think it it really rings true to me now uh, you know politics that political parties have have in some ways copied what what football teams have been doing for, for 
for for a while now that that you have to defend and you have to almost argue their position no matter what they do even if they 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 they're doing something that which is almost against your own interest that you you will keep defending them and you you will see this now i mean we have an example which essentially the news that broke today in egypt they suspended a player because multiple women came forward with accusations of sexual harassment but the player has now been reinstated because the egypt squad said that they will they, they just don't accept it and the egypt squad because the the africa cup of nations is being played in egypt and there's so much expectation that egypt will go on and win the tournament the federation relented so now you have a scenario in which egypt fans yesterday when egypt were winning uh, and the egypt players were you know almost uh, making these gestures in support of this guy who's been accused of sexual harassment the egypt fans were lap- lapping it up and everything is everything is it can be defended everything is has to be supported and this is really now started to trouble me because these fan culture essentially are built on the idea of negating everything that is not them beginning this fall priyansh will be starting his phd in the sociology of sport at the university of toronto and you can follow him on twitter at prevaricate that is p r i v a r i c a t Okay, Sindhu, I still feel like we're missing something here. All these sports fans have this kinship and camaraderie that I feel like we're missing. Uh, you and I have kinship and camaraderie. What, are you just looking for new friends at this point? Maybe. You know what, Sindhu? Forget it. Let's just start watching a match right now and get into the spirit of it. Uh, no, I'm busy. Come on, just one cricket match from the World Cup. I've been watching some just with my family to spend more time with them and it's not as bad as it looks. Just try it out, no? Uh, okay, just to clarify, you want me to free up my calendar for like the next bajillion hours to watch a cricket match? Oh wait, I have a solution. Oh uh, wait, Ishan, Ishan, you're still here. Oh, gee, thanks. So uh, we can watch a uh, Real Madrid, the highlights of a Real Madrid match together. Twenty minutes. Um, mm. you know what? Cricket kind of sounds more yeah, live. Yeah, it sounds yeah much more what, what engaging right now. Afghanistan, Pakistan, right now. Exactly. Can you name one player from either team? Can you? Let's learn. Okay, done. Wait, what, what, what? What? That's not even out. Listen, what? That's a terrible decision. Hey, Sindhu, want to watch something on Netflix? I can really, really not watch Are you guys watching this? Please, man, you guys are useless. Trading Life is produced by me, Nikhil Venkatesa, and Sindhuri Nandakumar. We record our episodes at Aura Studios in Chennai. Our associate producer is C. Kirinan and sound engineer is Datta. You can email us at creatinglifepodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at creatinglifepodcast.com. 